The word says that when they started giving that report, all the people wanted to stone them. God just called a halt to that meeting right quick. He said, all right, I'll take care of this. None of you are going in. I want every one of you to turn around and go out there in the desert, in the wilderness, and you're going to wander for 40 years, and everybody from the age of 20 up except Joshua and Caleb. Every one of you are going to die out there. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. The rest of you, if you're over 20 years of age, every one of you are going to die, and your bones are going to bleach a pathway right back to this country. None of you are going to go in. I want to show you something. Two men out of the twelve had confidence in God and confessed that confidence, and God counted unto for righteousness, and he said, not only will the rest of you not go in, only these two will go into the land because they believed me. And you know, 40 years later, who do you think was left over of that whole generation? Joshua and Caleb. And you know what Caleb said? He was 80 now. He was 40 when he said that. Some of you think you're getting a little bit too old. He was 40 when he said, let's go take it. Forty years later, gives me courage. Jesus, glory to God, I'm just as strong now as I was 40 years ago. My God's just as great as he was 40 years ago. Give me a mountain. I'm going to take a whole mountain for myself. Now, what was the difference? His confidence was in the Lord. And God honors that every time. Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. Two men that really believed and trusted God, and God used them. There was another man... It wasn't even a soldier, wasn't even a, a warrior at all, but as he was sifting out a little bit of grain down in the wine press for fear he was going to get caught, remember that story? Somebody stood behind him and said, Hail thou mighty man of valor. He just about jumped out of his skin and he turned around and he said, God wants you to go and conquer the Malachites. <laughs> not me. What do you mean, me brave? I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm hiding down here so that they don't catch me, trying to get a little bit of grain for my family because every time I get a little bit of grain, they come and take it away from me. That's all right. The Lord's hand's on you. You're going to do it. So I won't get into all the details, but he got some fleeces out and said, God, if you mean it, show it to me. All right, you did it that way. Now do it another way. And finally, God said, all right, now I want you to call for the warriors to come and you're going to go and fight them. And he said when they looked out on the field, there were just innumerable enemy. It was just innumerable out there all over the place. Gideon came back and said, well, let's see how many men we got. 32,000. Glory to God, 32,000. That won't even be a gnat on an, on an elephant out there. What are we going to do? God said, I got an idea. He says, what? He says, you tell, I get this, you tell all of them that are fearful, all those that are afraid, go on home. See, God doesn't use fearful people. God doesn't use people that are afraid to serve him. He said, now, if any of you are afraid or fearful, if any of them are afraid or fearful, tell them to go home. You know, I, I can just feel Gideon's feeling in his heart. Now, I know you valiant soldiers out there. Uh, I came because you really feel the call of God in your life. And uh, uh, by the way, God said, if any of you are fearful or afraid, why, well, you can go on home. No! <laughs> All of us, 22,000 out of the 32,000 took off for home. You see, not only does God want men who have confidence in him, but he also wants men who are watchful. He says, now one more process here, Gideon, then we'll have our army. Send them down there to the creek and tell them they can get a drink. You watch, only those that pick up the water with their hand like this and lap it like a dog and watch around so the enemy doesn't get them. If any of them lay down and put their face down in the water to get a drink, send them home. 300 were left. God says, I think we're getting down about to the odds now. We can win the victory. And he did win the victory. Now, God uses those who can have confidence in him. And he says he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind so that we don't have to have the fear, but we can walk with him moment by moment, day by day. Jesus said that as far as believers are concerned, there are some things that you and I should not be worried about every day. 
First of all, we should not be worried concerning meeting life's necessities. Remember what Jesus said in Luke, the 12th chapter? Don't worry about food or clothing or what you're going to put on, where you're going to, uh, where you're going to sleep and so forth. He said, that's what the heathen do. And he says, you consider the lilies of the field. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. Consider the sparrows or the birds of the air. He says, they don't plant and they don't harvest. Yet your heavenly Father sees to it that they have. He said, now you of little faith, quit worrying about these things. Your heavenly Father hath knoweth that you have need of all these things. And if you have confidence in me, I'll supply your every need. Do we have confidence in the Lord in that area? Are we trusting him day by day? Can we pray as Jesus told us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. We believe that it's going to be ours every single day. He told us not to fear man. In the book of Proverbs, it says that the fear of man bringeth a snare. And I'll tell you one thing. If you have a fear of man, you'll never be able to witness very much for Jesus Christ. You show me a pastor that has a fear of men, and he'll not be able to have a very effective minister. You show me any servant of Jesus Christ who has a fear of what other people think when he's trying to serve the Lord, and you'll be in difficulty. Can you imagine Noah having a fear of man? 120 years? Pounding on that ark and prophesying and preaching and teaching about the coming judgment. Can you imagine if he had had a fear of man, he'd say, oh, here comes judge such and such and attorney such and such and a businessman downtown. Let's not talk about this now while they're here. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in an argument with them. They, they're so smart. They might mess up my arguments, you know. You know? Fear of man bringeth a snare. And God says, don't, don't look upon the face of men and be afraid of them. Remember, you have to answer to me. Another thing that he told us not to fear was death, and we talked about that a few moments ago. Oh, grave, death, where is thy sting, and oh, grave, where is thy victory? We're not supposed to fear the judgment of God anymore because Jesus Christ took our judgment for us. Paul said, absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't have to fear death. The Word of God tells us very clearly that we shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I still remember a, a lady osteopath that was a member of our church in Minnesota. I didn't understand what was going on or why she did it. Whenever I'd go in and have her treat me, she would start asking me questions about heaven and death and the, uh, what, what's in eternity and so forth. And she had been a professing Christian for years. And so I just began to witness to her and share with her about the, what the Word of God had to say about the life hereafter. And I could almost sense a fear in her. So one day, I, as she was working on my back, I just reached up like this and took a hold of her hand. And I said, I'm going to pray with you. And, and I began to pray with her and ask the Lord to give her peace about that which was to come in eternity and cause her to have an assurance in her heart that Jesus Christ was Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that he was the Lord over death, and he had the keys of death, hell, and the grave on his hip, and, the, and that Satan could not steal her. And after that, she, every time I'd come in, she'd just be just praising the Lord and so hungry to know more about it. And I didn't realize that that woman knew that her body was filled with cancer, and before long I took her to the hospital, and there she passed away to the Lord. But when I, she was sitting, lying there on the bed, I walked up and I said, Well, you've asked me a lot of questions about eternity. You've asked me a lot of questions about what heaven's going to be like. And I said... I understand that you're going to get a first-hand view of it before I do. But I just want you to know, Jesus is going to be there with his arms open to receive you and all the pain and all this sorrow that you were not able to share with anyone else will be gone. And just as weak as she was, a little smile came on her face and tears ran down her face because she knew of a reality she didn't have to fear when she stood at death's door. Yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's why we have to confess what the Word says. 
not what we feel and not what we see and what we think. Because as the world looks at death, it's an awesome thing to them. But God tells us that we don't have to fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear. We have to confess the word. David in Psalm 34, 4 said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That's what we need to do. Ask the Lord to deliver us from all our fears. I want you to know that I'm pretty well tagged as a series preacher. I found out since I didn't say serious, I said series. I found out that it's easy to have what we call freight train messages to put the caboose on anywhere you want to and just keep going the next time. But we're in a series on the tongue that James talks about our tongue being a, an unruly evil within our body and no man can tame it. But he gives us clues throughout the word of God how the tongue can be controlled because he said in James 1 that if any man does not control his tongue, that man's religion is vain. And it's very, very vital for us to understand the forces behind the tongue that cause it to say the things that it says. It comes from our thinking. We have been talking about the Christian struggle, and I can't go back on it, simply to tell you that once a person has been born again of the Spirit of God, that he receives input from the Spirit of God. His Spirit has quickened, the Word of God says, and suddenly he's aware of a total new source of input into his thinking processes, into his will, his mind, emotions, his imagination, his thoughts, and consequently, in his words. That's why when a person is in Jesus Christ, all things are set aside or cast aside, and behold, all things become new. When we repent and set them aside, suddenly a new spirit comes within us, we receive a new heart, and we're, we're made alive in Jesus Christ. Now, suddenly that part that was totally dead becomes alive and we receive information that we didn't receive before. The Word says, we say, Abba, Father, my Father, I'm aware that God is alive in my life. The blind man said, whereas I was blind, now I see. There was no question about it. But that does not eliminate the fact that Paul says there, there comes into the life of every believer, there is in the life of every believer, a struggle, a warfare, a constant pulling. And the victory in that warfare determines, is determined by what we allow to be controlling us. Jesus said, to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you yield yourself to obey. I think this is an area that is not touched upon enough today in our pulpit. Make men and women realize that the Holy Spirit will come and suggest to us the right course. The enemy will come and suggest to us the wrong course. And God says, if any man wills to do the will of God, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or of man. And so the word of God says that we're to stand, therefore, putting on armor, being ready to fight as a good soldier. It doesn't mean that we're saved by our good works, but it means that we have come to a place where we have determined our direction by a quality decision of faith. From this day forward, I declare Jesus Christ is Lord in every area of my life. Now, when you say that, I want you to know that in the spiritual realm, a warfare is going to take place because the pull of the lower nature and the physical senses are going to warfare against the spiritual senses. The physical senses are going to say you're sick. The spiritual senses are going to say you've been healed by the blood of Jesus. But I don't feel healed. It doesn't make any difference. The word of God says I am healed. So I'm claiming and confessing without being a hypocrite. I'm confessing what the word says and not what I feel. Now, if you've never gone through that, you don't know what a struggle is. Because the mind is saying, well, you must be crazy. You've got all this pain and this fever and agony, and you say you're not sick. I'm not declaring what's on me. I'm telling you what I possess. I do not possess. I do not claim this sickness. I've been healed by the blood of Jesus. I'll not receive this sickness in Jesus' name. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm just confessing what I say I believe. If I say I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I've been healed by his precious blood, and then go around saying, oh, I'm sick. 
I'm afflicted. I, I'm just not going to make it. I'm a hypocrite. I either believe one or the other, and it doesn't go by our experiences. When that struggle begins to take place, I told you that I gave you some examples of it in the past. First of all, the Word of God comes along and tells you that you're to love God. The flesh in the world tells you to love yourself. You deserve it. You're worth it. Then it went on to say that God, the Word of God says to trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. And the Word and the, the flesh in the world tells you, worry. The things are getting worse. This world's conditions are getting bad. We're having inflation, deflation, all the rest of it. Get concerned. Uh, then joyfulness and sorrowfulness. The Word of God says we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The world says what you got to be joyful about. You might lose your job tomorrow. Your car is falling apart. Your wife is giving you a rough time right now. Your kids are throwing a fit. How can you be joyful? The Word of God says you're to rejoice, but this is the will of God concerning you. When you walk in obedience, it's a struggle against the natural inclinations of the flesh to walk out in obedience what the Word of God says. Get ready for that struggle. Last week we started in on confidence and fear. And I talked to you about the fact that why we have confidence and, and what happens when fear comes in. But I got to the point where I was telling you that there are actually two different kinds of fear. And the Word of God says that we have the equipment necessary to resist that fear. He said he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, a steadfast mind. So we don't have to give in to fear. And what we confess is what we're going to get. If we confess fear, if we confess failure, if we confess disaster, then it opens the door widely to the enemy who is a legalist. If we confess it, then we can receive it. If we confess the Word of God, he has no legal right to keep coming against us. I like what David the psalmist said. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And it's so important for a Christian to have victory in their life, they have to get rid of the fear in their life. Get rid of it, how? By declaring the word of God. Not what they feel, not what they sense in their flesh, but what the word of God says. I have to say, of course, that fear is a very natural thing. It has been placed as a natural defense within the life of every individual, proper fear, in order to allow us to, to avoid danger, to foresee danger and to avoid it, to get around it. But I'm not talking about that particular type of fear. There's two types of fear. In the Hebrew, the word is yara. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, yara. And in the Greek, it's phobos, from which we get the word phobia today, the insane fear of something coming upon us. And in the Greek, the same word phobos is used in the proper type of fear and in the godly type of fear. And I think that as Christians, we need to understand there are times when it's right for us. For example, if I stumble and almost land on a hot stove, uh, the natural instinct of fear comes knowing that if I touch that hot stove, I'm going to get burned. That's a proper type of fear. So I'll throw my body sideways and fall on the floor if I have to, to keep from hitting that stove. Now, that's a proper type of fear. But there is a type that dishonors God. There's a type of fear that, that uh, saps all of our energies and our strengths and keeps us from being what God wants us to be. And I'm talking about that terror and that fright and that dread uh, or that apprehension that evil is going to come. Have you heard people going around saying, oh, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose my job. Oh, I'm just afraid I'm going to catch a cold. I'm afraid of this. I'm always constantly confessing fear in their lives. Now, this saps and drains of spiritual strength because you're confessing doubt and unbelief instead of faith. There are a lot of Christians today that are absolutely bound by this. Someone described it like a dog that's cowering and shivering and whining and whimpering and yiping, just waiting and hearing the whistle of that strap coming down across its back again. And there's some people who just go around in that kind of fear and terror all the time. But the proper type, the good type of fear, is a type we find in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 26 through 28. This Greek word for godly fear is eulabis. Eulabis in the Greek is, is somewhat different from it. It's another form of fear. 
says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I would shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made or created, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and your labor, godly fear. He said, knowing that in the end, when everything is settled, all these things that we try to draw around ourselves, God's going to shake those loose from us, and they're going to fall away. Everything has been created, but that which God has given to us is eternal, so therefore we ought to walk in our daily lives with reverence and godly fear. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, went all the way through the book trying to explain to you how the natural man looked at everything. Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. The natural man, the, the godly man, walks through life in turmoil and trouble and strife and everything falls in the grave, and that's the end, as the natural man looks at it. The, the ungodly man goes through life fat and sumptuous and has everything he wants and no problems, and he falls into the grave, and that's the end. He said, if I lived 10,000 years, it wouldn't be worth living as the natural man sees it. But in the end, he said, what is the final commandment? What is the final standard for man? He said, the end of it all is that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments. I'm talking about a godly fear, a reverence, a respect, an adoration, an awe in the presence of a holy God. Now, some people say that fearing God is wrong. I'm not talking about the fear like where you turn and run from someone, but I'm talking about the awesome awareness that God is absolutely perfect. God is absolutely all-knowing, and yet he still loves us. And we walk in, Lord, I don't understand how you love me, but I receive it because you said it, and I stand before you in awe. Reverence and fear before the Lord. Now, David said that kind of fear is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. David said again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus declared that we should fear God in that right sense of fearing God. Not afraid we're going to get whipped and beaten, but I'll assure you, if you're a born-again Christian and you walk in disobedience, you can just mark it down as sure as night follows day that you are going to receive stripes across your back. God will lay the, the whip to your back. Now, he said that if you are my sons, all my sons receive chastening from the Lord. He said, if you don't receive chastening from me, you're a bastard. You're not a legitimate son at all. If you're my son, I will chasten you when you're disobedient. There are many people that like to use that verse in Romans that says, therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation, no punishment, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. I have to keep reminding them that isn't what it says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's so important to understand that that goes right along with it. When we do not walk in obedience, guilt comes upon us. We recognize that we're in disobedience to God, and if we don't judge ourselves, God says he will judge us. That's what he talked about in the Lord's Supper. He says, therefore, judge yourselves that you be not judged. And let me tell you something. I have been judged of the Lord in my life many, many times, and I don't look forward to it, but I thank God for it. I didn't thank my father when he used to spank me, but later on I went back and said, Dad, I'm glad you did spank me all the times you did. I used to think you spanked me too much, but now I know that you didn't spank me enough. I needed it more often. The chastening of the Lord. And I'll tell you, when I did something wrong with my father around, I knew just as sure as anything I was going to receive something for it. And I did. He always had two of those big, thick, double razor straps. You young people don't know what a razor strap is. But they used to take the old straight razor and they had to rub it back and forth on that razor strap to just hone the edge on that razor strap. But all that was the most unique little weapon when he needed to use it on me, it would not only pat once, but then it would come and reemphasize what it was saying. 
And it just seemed to wrap all the way around and just emphasize what he was trying to say so clearly. I'll tell you, when I used to walk by that, I would look at that strap with awe. I didn't run from it, but I knew it represented something else. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are unable, not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Peter in 1 Peter 1, 7, And if ye call on the Father who without respect of person judgeth according to every man's work, listen now, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Pass the time of your sojourning here as a believer in fear, in respect, in awe that our God is a holy God, but he's a consuming fire. He's a loving God, but he's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Walk in fear before the Lord in awe and respect of his command. You see, the value of proper fear is that, first of all, it'll bring obedience. Chastening for the moment is not pleasant, but afterwards it worketh. The present bringeth forth the pleasant fruit of peace and righteousness and justice. I think that there's nothing else, if nothing else, those spankings used to remind me afterwards, walk straight. My dad used to always say, now you got it, now you do it again, you'll get it again. You know, there's one of the greatest tragedies, I, I just get really at a strain here when I'm preaching because I, I could just spend the next 35 minutes in telling parents that is one of the most important lessons to learn about uh, disciplining your children. I've seen some parents let their children do something and spank them for it. And then they let them do it ten times, and then they spank them again. And they let them do it ten more times, and they spank them again. And the kids just simply say, odds are ten to one, I'm going to get away with it. But they ought to know that every time they do it, every time they do it, every time they do it, and the punishment increases every time they do it, until finally that something clicks and they say, hey, this isn't worthwhile. You think? And then they wonder, if they don't do that, they wonder, well, I can't do anything with my kid. Well, hey, he's working the odds. He knows. If you lie to him and say, do it again, I'm going to beat you, do it again, I'm going to beat you, do it again. Before long, he says, well, she said that before. It's only when she says, Joseph Alvin Webb, then I'll know she means it, see? Obe I mean, uh, fear, proper fear, first of all, brings obedience. Before long, we realize that it's worthwhile to be obedient to the Lord. When we're obedient to the Lord and walk in obedience to him, it begins to bring a communion, a fellowship with him. When I was in a right relationship with my father, I never had any trouble talking with him. We could work out in the field together. We could sit at home together. We could do all these good things together. But when I was disobedient, man, I tried to avoid him. Now, that's why I tell you, I can understand. I know when people aren't really walking close to the Lord, because you know who the first person is they try to avoid? They have difficulty being around? I don't know why. I don't have anything written on me. But when I'm around, they just don't have much fellowship with him. When they get right with the Lord, they'll come up, Brother Jay, I'm going to see you again. I say, well, glory to God. They're taking care of whatever it was. But you see, fellowship can come when there's obedience to the Lord. That's why someone wrote in the book, I, I believe it was D.L. Moody's book, said uh, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. If you are walking in sin, you just don't enjoy the Bible because it doesn't touch up the picture. It just tells it how it is. But if you're walking in obedience, you say, glory to God, praise the Lord. Isn't this blessed? What happened? The book didn't change. We have a greater communion and a fellowship with him because we're walking in obedience to him. And that's what fearing the Lord causes and brings into our life. Obedience and communion, and that brings confidence. When we begin to have communion with the Lord, before long the Lord begins to whisper his promises in our ears, and we say, glory to God, that's for me. I'm going to walk in that. That's mine. And we begin to see the power of God flowing through our lives. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. You see, if you walk in obedience and have communion with God, before long you're going to begin to recognize confidence in your life, in God's word, that it's for you. 
What reward? Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great reward. I want you to just to see some of the rewards that come to the believer in obedience. Turn to the book of Psalms with me, if you will. Psalms 25. We're going to just do a little walk through the book of Psalms again. What is the blessing of fearing the Lord? What is the reward? Psalm 25, 14. First of all, you begin to learn the secrets of God. Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. That's a good reward, isn't it? The secret of the Lord are with them that fear him. He's going to share his secrets with you because you're having communion and fellowship with him when you walk in obedience to him. Then turn on over to Psalm 33, 18, and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercies to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Glory to God. When you walk in obedience to the Lord, he says, you're the apple of my eye. You don't go anywhere. I just, I just watch you. I walk, watch over you. I deliver you. I provide for you. I, I'm just, you're all in it. I'm your El Shaddai. The El Shaddai is one of the names of God in the Old Testament. I'm the all-sufficient God for you. You walk in obedience to me, you fear me, and I'll meet your every need and I'll protect you. Glory to God, that's a great reward, isn't it? Verse, chapter 34, verse 7. Wow, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that what? And, and delivereth them. You know, I've seen some people walking pretty roughshod in the things of the Spirit and say, well, glory to God, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that they don't recognize what it's saying there. Them that fear him. Those that walk in awe before him. Those that walk in obedience before him. Those that have a communion with him. He says he just surrounds them, protects them. What a reward. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 17. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that what? Fear him. Verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Praise the Lord. The mercy of the Lord is upon them and he treats us as his child. He sees that we're just children. He, he understands. I, I don't know about you, but I've stumbled and fallen and made a lot of mistakes and I've just sensed the presence of the Lord when I said, Father, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Him just lifting me up and saying, Come on, son. Keep on going. Keep on going, son. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, walk in awe of him, in obedience before him. What a reward. Psalm 112, verses 1 and 7. Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man, or happy is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Woo. You see, if a person fears the Lord, he delights in the commandments of the Lord. You show me a person who says, well, I fear the Lord, and then he chafes every time the word of God tell, lays something on him as far as holiness is concerned, commitment is concerned, separation is concerned. He begins to say, well, now I think that's legalism. I think that's bondage. Hey, brother, you better check it out. The word says if you fear the Lord, you love his commandments. They're not grievous to you. In fact, you don't walk over to the edge and say, how close can I get and still say I belong to Jesus? You get as far away from that edge as you can and do all you can to glorify and magnify Jesus Christ and cause your life to be such an example that others won't even have a chance of stumbling over you when they watch your life. Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, let me tell you something. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. And all your facts are going to be screwed up if you don't have the Lord in your heart. 
You're going to have psychology, philosophy, anthropology, biology, all these other things in your head. They're going to be whirling around and they'll have no order nor proper stand because the scripture says the, the fool has said in, there is, in his heart there is no God. The insane man. He can be educated, but he's insane is what the word of God says. But once you come into an understanding of the Lord and you begin to fear the Lord, all these other truths of science and philosophy and so forth, all of these come into a proper order because you see yourself in as one created of God and having a purpose for God. Everything else has to take its place in that order. And so all this knowledge comes into order and consequently you can begin to be wise because wisdom is the application of facts that you've received, knowledge and understanding you've received. 8.13, Proverbs 8.13. Here it is. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to become radical. 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to, what? Hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate, Solomon said. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, not to play with it, not to tinker with it, not to rub elbows with it, but to call it what it is and say, I hate that. You say, Brother Webb, that's no way to win the world. I beg your pardon, I've never yet found that I can pull my car down into a mud hole with someone else to try to pull them out. I don't have to crawl in the gutter with an alcoholic to try to tell him what the truth of God's word says. My daughter does not have to go down to the streets on Church Avenue and practice prostitution in order to be able to witness to those in that area. Now, there's a philosophy today. You've got to be one of them and join with them and become a part of them before they'll ever be able to receive you and receive the word. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. That philosophy has come out of our liberal colleges. The word of God says, be ye holy even as the Lord your God is holy. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now that doesn't mean you don't have anything to do with them, but it means when you're around them, when they see your life, they see Jesus Christ in your life. Then the word says, when they come to you and say, what is it that's different about you? You be ready at that time to give an answer. The trouble is, most times when some go out with a false understanding that they're going to be able to just mingle and kind of go along with them, that they're not going to come around and say, what's different about you? But it says when they do come to you, they have evidently seen a vast difference and they say, what is it about you that's so different? Then be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. You want a long life? Fear the Lord. Walk in obedience to the Lord. Have communion and fellowship with the Lord. I'll tell you one thing. The scripture says the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You want to know how to get cancer and arthritis and all these other things? Let that go on for years. It'll shorten your days. You want to have heart trouble? Super hypertension, supertension, hypertension, any of these things? You want it? Just, just go ahead and let all that churning take place. But the fear of the Lord is the lengthening of days. Doctors say that the majority of the diseases and problems that people are having today is, you take it back to its source, and is basically due to stress. But you get up in the morning and you just start singing, The joy of the Lord is my great glory. To God, you get all excited and blessed. It doesn't mean that there's no problems. It means you've laid them in his lap. And if he doesn't work them out, glory to God, that's all right. If he takes me out of this life, I'm home. 14.26. Proverbs 14.26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. You want to, first of all, have confidence in your daily life? You know, some years ago we had a, a very, very well-to-do man come and 
and threatened he was going to take our property away from us, and he had the potential of doing so. And he said, I want you to come over right now. We're going to change this contract agreement that we have, and we're going to tear down all your buildings, going to break it up into lots and sell it off and divide the money according to the amount that we put into it. Well, let us pray about it, and we'll do whatever the Lord tells us to do. He said, I'm not talking about prayer. He said, I said we were going to change that thing right now, or I'm going to let this mortgage go into default. It'll accelerate, and you can't cover it, and I'll just take it all. I said, well, again, my wife and I'll pray about it, see what the Lord says about it. If he wants you to have our property... I'll come over with a smile on my face and turn it over to you because I don't want it. If God wants you to have it, I want you to have it. But I said, you know something? If God doesn't want you to have it, it's his. If he doesn't want you to have it, you can't touch it with a 10-foot pole. He said, well, I just wanted to hear from you right away. We're going to change this thing or I'm going to let it go in default. Well, now, if my confidence was in my ability to meet that need, I guarantee you, they'd have pulled the plug. I'd have been glug, glug, glug to the bottom. And I hung up. My wife started laughing. She says, well, the devil's overplayed his hand. Now, I know that God has a miracle for us. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming. What happened? See, the fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. My confidence wasn't what was in my pocket. I'll guarantee I had some lint and a comb and a change purse, and that was about it, some keys. My confidence was in the Lord, and we didn't know how he was going to work it out. But you know, within two days, I called the man back and said, not only do I have my payment, I have your payment, and if in X number of days it isn't covered, I understand that we'll have to foreclose on your property so we can get our money back. He was astounded. I said, well, I want to explain to you again now. This isn't anything that has to do with me. God is my source, and God provided. God made a way when there was no way. And I told you, if God wanted you to have it, you can have it. But you see, my confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in the Lord. And she's strong. Here I stood with not a... I didn't have enough money to buy the fence post out front, and the Lord made provision. Well, now... He says that he's going to protect those that fear him and walk in obedience before him. I don't know how he's going to do it. If I had sat down and tried to figure it out, man, you could have sent for the paddy wagon. I'd have been down and out. Strong confidence are in those that fear and awe and understand that God says, I am the God of all creation. See, is there anything too hard for me? God always has a way if we're willing to walk in obedience. Now, you see, I want to turn it around and tell you something. I had to be just as willing to say, Lord, he can have the property. If you want him to have it, it's his. See, if I didn't, all of a sudden... You've seen that ad on TV where that rope knots up real tightly? That could have happened. But it says the fear of the Lord. You just simply say, can't do it, Lord. It's up to you. I mean, you've got to come to that place of Gideon. Thousands upon thousands. It says just as the sand covers the sea, the enemy was out there in the valley, and here stands Gideon with 300 men, lanterns and trumpets. But the word says each man stood in his place in confidence before the Lord. And they broke the pitchers and held up the lanterns and and cried out, blew the trumpet, and, and all cried at one time, and God went in the midst of them, destroyed, I believe it was 185,000, something like that, in one fell swoop. Strong confidence. Chapter 16, verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You want to walk in purity? Fear the Lord. One more. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. In the, in the Living Bible it says he shall have life, happiness, and protection from harm. If you walk in fear of the Lord. Life, happiness, and protection from harm. 